Back when Don, so my wife and I, we moved here eight years ago. As a lot of you know, we moved from the Midwest. I was a pastor at a church in northern Wisconsin for 12 years. And then the Lord spoke to us over the course of a year. We discerned God's call, and then we moved to northern California to be amongst this really liberal, progressive community. And uh, then we got here, and we're like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And... Um, and but we we've loved it. We just love Red Bluff. It's an amazing community. And but when we when we were living in Wisconsin, so we had five kids. But back when we had three, um, you know, we had three daughters. Our 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 daughters were born Alana, McKenna, and Sadie. And uh, Dawn had this opportunity to go to Europe. And so uh, she you know was like going to go on this trip with uh, this lady she worked with and get to see. Europe, and it was great, and we were so encouraging and supportive. Yeah, absolutely, and she's like, all right, you're going to stay with the girls, and I have one thing for you to do. There's one thing I want you to do the whole, when I get back, I want you to keep up with the laundry, okay? And I was like, yes, ma'am, I can do it. I'm, I can do laundry. My, so I grew up, my mom uh, made me do laundry. Like I started to do laundry when I was nine years old because that was just, I had to do my own laundry because no one else was going to do it. So I was like, I can do that. And so, she, you know, we take her to the airport, she takes off and, and while she's gone, uh, it was like, oh man, we had so, we went out to eat every day. Uh, we watched every movie. I was like, have you guys ever seen, uh, you know, like, and I insert some war movie and I'm like, you guys need to know about this. Right. And so we watched star Wars. I don't know. We watched all these things and it was a great week. And, uh, as the week went on, this laundry pile just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember like, we just kept putting it in this one room and I'd walk past it and I was like, oh man, it's getting so big, but I have a plan. And, uh, Finally, the day before she comes home, you know, when, when mom's away and you've got the kids, the day before, it's like, it's serious. Yeah, I'm like, all right, girls, here's what we're going to do. And like, you're doing the bathroom, you're doing the vacuuming, you know, and I'm like, and then we'll go do the laundry. And I had, I had this plan. I had what I would call a dad power move. And I got all that laundry and I put it into the back of our vehicle and I drove to the laundromat. And because what I had discovered at the laundromat is laundromats have these, these washers and these dryers that can fit like tons of like laundry. So I'm like, oh man, I am the smartest and the best husband simultaneously. And so I put all the whites in and I put all the darks in and threw in, you know, like $8 a quarters. And, and then we're like, all right, we'll come back and came back, got it all done, came back to the house and put all the laundry away. And I was like, I rest, <laughs> you know, like I am the greatest, uh, the greatest husband, the greatest father of all time. And uh, I mean, some people have called me a genius. I didn't say that, but some people have called me a genius in that moment. And then when Dawn gets home and she's talking to the girls and she's talking about her trip, the girls have to tell her what I have done. And they're like, oh, dad took all the laundry to the laundromat. And apparently this was a test. The laundry was a test to see if I would keep up with it daily, and somehow I had cheated the system, and Don was actually upset about it. And one of my friends uh, was telling us, like, I don't understand, man, I did all the laundry, and she's upset at me, and he's like, you did not read between the lines. And I was like, ah, what are you talking about? And is it not true that amongst human interaction and communication, it's very challenging? 
Because there's these, like, you think that you're saying one thing, the other person hears another thing, and then you get into these tiffs, as we like to call it in my household. But one of the things that I really love about prayer or talking to God is that it is so much less complicated than talking to human beings. Can I get an amen? Does anybody feel that way? Oh my gosh, I was thinking about the different reasons why it is Uh, it's a lot less complicated. And a couple of the reasons is because God already knows your heart, right? Like he he reads between the lines because there's no lines. He's just like, he knows what what your prayers are. And then I love that you can tell God literally anything. Have you ever considered that? You can actually talk to God about literally anything. And some of us, I think when we have a really maybe a a, a beginning understanding of prayer, we think, oh no, I have to talk to God in some special way. I have to use King James English, like, thou Lordest have heardeth me. And, And then that prevents us from praying because we don't think that we have the right words. But what I love about the Psalms is that as we're reading the Psalms, we see that that David and the the other authors of the Psalms are able just to speak, you know, they just communicate to God, God, this is is what I'm going through. I feel like the waters are up to my neck right now. Where is your salvation? I've seen all these terrible things. Where are you, God? And, And you have the psalmists like communicating for us that we can be honest with God. How many of you ever had a bad day? Don't lie, have you? How many of you having a bad day right now? Let's just be honest, okay? A few of you, I am now after talking about my marriage, but point is, Point is, is that in the midst of the most challenging things that you can go through, the good news is that we can talk to God. We can communicate to God. We can speak to Him honestly. So I love that we can, I love that God knows our hearts. I love that we can talk to God about anything. And then what I've really learned the last 10 or 15 years is that as we are in prayer, we can actually have space to listen to God and that God actually communicates back to us more often than we realize. And we see that in Scripture. There's a lot of different ways that God communicates to us. through Obviously, through, through the Bible, He speaks to us through creation. He can speak to us through other people. There's a lot of different ways that God can speak to us. But I love that, that prayer is, is simple in that way. So I don't know what your prayer life looks like. Um, I've been thinking about 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where Paul says, never stop praying or pray without ceasing. I've been thinking about that. And my prayer life uh, kind of looks like this. You know, every morning I wake up and at some point in time within the first hour, I spend time reading um, some scripture and praying. And then uh, I do a lot of praying when I'm driving. Uh, when I was in Southern California last week, I prayed a lot uh, as we were driving. <laughs> um, I pray at night. I'll spend time praying and and finish reading a psalm. And one of the things that's really neat, by the way, is if you have prayer requests and you're wanting to get other people to pray, you can go on our church app. There's a really easy way to, to send a prayer request, or you can go to our website, send a prayer request, and it goes. And, and as we continue to grow um, this, this program we've installed, we can have more and more people praying. Um, but, but I love that prayer is, is simple like that. And as I spent the last few weeks praying, you know, about our church and Generally, by the 15th of December, I'm starting to like, you know, we've kind of got our Christmas stuff worked out. And I start to think about, you know, 2024, this next year, what is it that the Holy Spirit's speaking to us? And amongst leadership, we talk about these things. And, 
And as I was praying over the course of the last few weeks, I had this, um, I guess the best way to explain it is I had this moment where I felt like God really clearly spoke to me. Um, and I was in the morning and I was praying and I was just, um, you know, brushing my teeth or something really simple like that. And I, I felt like I heard this phrase in, in the back of my mind. Just this, I think it was the Holy Spirit speaking. And I heard this phrase that followers of Jesus need to be anchored to sail. And it was like, what? Now I'm around anchors a lot when I go fishing and I'm in my boat and I, I've been on sailboats, but I was like, you don't drop an anchor in order to sail. Like, do we all agree that that's not normal? Okay, I was like, I mean, if you drop an anchor when you're trying to sail, you're going to find out really quickly that you can't sail. And I was like, man, what is that about? So I just started praying about that, that phrase. And, and it was interesting because as I did, I, I really sensed the Holy Spirit actually really wanted us to spend January kind of leaning into this, this idea that I want to flesh out today and over the course of the next uh, few weeks. But here's what we see in Scripture as we look at scripture, we see that there are certain practices or certain ways of thinking or certain habits or actions or beliefs that, that help anchor us into God, into Jesus, in, into the story of the kingdom. Um, the more centered we are on Jesus, uh, the more effective toward ministry we are or um, the more centered we are in Jesus, the more effective as a spouse we are, or as a son, or a daughter, or as a friend, or as a neighbor. How many of us in the room have neighbors that are challenging? If you do, the more, the more Jesus you need, right? Okay? I mean, it's just true. We, we, the more Jesus we have, the more effective it is that we can go through life. And so, in one of Jesus' most beloved teachings, he actually makes this crystal clear. In John 15, I want to read a few words from this. This is Jesus. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Pause for a moment. That means that when you're following Jesus and you start going through some challenging things in life and you feel like the pressure's on, oftentimes God is at work actually pruning you to become more effective, okay? So you can't always jump to the conclusion that you're being persecuted. Sometimes the things that we feel like our persecution are actually God's activity into shaping us and forming us to be more like Jesus, so then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. In other words, we, if we get severed from our connection to Jesus, there's a problem. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. How many of you want to be fruitful in the room? Think about it. In any area of your life, if you want to be fruitful, what did Jesus just say? You have to be connected to who? Jesus, that's right. And then he says this, and this is the, oh, this is such a good statement. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh. 
And I've been, I've been pastoring now for over 20 years, and there have been numerous times in my life as a pastor where I was trying to do things apart from Jesus, and guess how effective that was? It wasn't very effective, because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But let's think about it in the application for most of you who are not pastors in this room. How many of you have tried to be a good husband apart from Jesus? Doesn't work very well. How about a good son? How about a good coworker? How about a good neighbor? Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? So we have to stay connected to the vine. I mean, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. If we're honest about the world we live in there, however, in the world that we live in, there are ideologies and there are influences and there are storms around us more so than ever before, potentially. So I think it's absolutely crucial that we have something that can anchor us to the ultimate reality, the kingdom of God. We need something or someone to center us and to be our foundation. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to have some different people share stories as testimonies about how God anchored them through the most tragic, terrible situations that they went for. Like for me, and many of you know the story, but one of the things that I think of the time where God got me through it is when Don and I had been married for just over a year and a half, and we, we were not planning necessarily of having a child, and all of a sudden we found out we were pregnant. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We're so excited, you know, and, and we were pumped, and, and we found out uh, a few months later that Don was having a miscarriage. And we found out that we had twins, and we were going to have two, so we're going through all these emotions, and over the course of a week, we lost our, our pregnancy. And it was the most challenging and difficult thing, and I just want to let you know, if you have had a miscarriage, what we found out is we thought there was something wrong with us. We're like, oh my gosh, what did we do wrong? And then we went through this whole process of like, did we offend God? Is it just us? And, and it, was, it was through that process, though, that our faith got us through. And this is why, because A, we found out that no, we hadn't upset God in some way. The Bible doesn't teach that. Um, we also found out that we were not alone. In fact, everywhere we went, we'd have just, just close friends of ours walk up and say, yeah, I, had, I went through a miscarriage many years before too. And it was like, okay. It was so comforting. And, and it was in the midst of that, the process of months of praying and, and having other people pray for us and reading scripture, that is what anchored us through that storm. And here's the cool thing about our church community is there are literally hundreds of people who have similar stories of how God anchored them through the most tragic, terrible situations they've ever experienced. And that's kind of what I think the Holy Spirit is wanting us to spend some time talking about over the course of the next few weeks. Now, throughout Scripture, we read of God inviting us to anchor ourselves into Jesus and the kingdom by way of certain habits and practices, ways of living. And so just for a few moments here, what are some anchoring habits that we could consider adding to our lives? Well, the first one I think is engaging in Scripture. This is the yearly and weekly reminder that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be reading the Bible. <laughs> you should be in Scripture. And there's a lot of Scriptures that, that we, could, we could utilize to teach that, but, but it's important to know what God's Word says. And then I think also important, another habit is, is to pray, engaging in prayer. What do you think happens when we continually pray, for example, the Lord's Prayer? If we build that rhythm into our lives, we pray every, every, every you know, week or maybe even day where we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you not agree that as we pray, it shapes us to understand the patterns and the priorities of God's kingdom? And so we need to engage in more prayer. I think we need to engage in community, worship, and communion. I mean, why does the Bible teach us not to forsake gathering with the church? I was having a conversation with somebody recently, and I was just saying, hey, you know, the Bible actually does teach that we are supposed to be in community, okay? And I understand vacations, and I understand sometimes you wake up and you have some flu. I understand that, and I understand we go through seasons, and travel sometimes happens, but by and large, we have a lot of excuses as to why we don't commit to a community of faith, and I think that the Bible actually has something to say about that, and they're like, well, I don't want to be legalistic. Okay, let's just address that for a minute. Is it legalistic to follow the teachings of Jesus? I mean, we would never say if someone said, well, Jesus says to love our neighbor, you wouldn't be like, well, we don't want to be legalistic about that, right? Are you guys with me? I'm stepping on some toes, but it's true. The Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembly of the saints. And the reason why is because there's something special and unique about a community of people gathering together in the power of the Spirit to worship God, to receive grace, to receive communion, to pray, and to hear Scripture. God works here. Okay? And so I think we need to be committed to that. And then here's what I think is really important, is that those are ways for us to experience and encounter God's presence, and power. That's where he works. It's not the only places that God works, but it's where he works. And then finally, I think we see an emphasis as a habit on engaging in mission. This is the most mind-blowing thing I ever heard when I was a teenager. I found out that every follower of Jesus was a missionary. Because I, I grew up thinking that, oh, the only people that are missionaries are the people that go to Africa or China. I didn't realize that the Bible actually says that all disciples are supposed to go and make disciples and that we're all engaged in missions in some sort. How many of you would agree that Red Bluff is a great mission field? It is, right? It is a great mission field. Everyone is supposed to make disciples. Everyone here is supposed to be able to identify and partner with God and respond to God's activity in a way that allows them to join his mission of making disciples. Now, here's what I want to I show you really quickly. This is the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. And early on in the book of Acts, we stumble upon this. Okay, so just to, to put it in context, okay? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life, death, burial, and his resurrection. And then after Jesus is resurrected, uh, the church basically gets launched. And, and so a whole bunch of disciples are praying. 120 of them are praying in, cha in Acts chapter 1. They're praying. They're like, God, Jesus said to pray. Keep on praying. So the Holy Spirit's going to come. I don't know what that's all about, but let's pray, 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 pray. And then finally, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and the church gets empowered to go out and do something and to be something. And as we, we read that, the Holy Spirit's poured out. The, the early disciples, they speak in tongues, they prophesy. There's like signs and wonders. And then Luke, the author of this, of this historical text, makes this statement. He says, all the believers were devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we call scripture, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. 
and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, what's the fruit of all those activities and habits and rhythms? And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The early church was anchored to sail. They were anchored into rhythms and practices and beliefs that sustain them through mass persecution, but that anchoring actually empowered them to sail and to join God's mission of making disciples of all nations. And I want to just let you know right now that, you know, this year in 2024, if you listen to a lot of preachers, there's a lot of declarations of good things and blessings and amazing things, and I hope that happens for a lot of you. I really do. I hope a lot of you become millionaires and then tithe off of that millionaire bonus, okay? Just fund our church for a while. I hope that happens. But can I be honest with you? If, if this year is like any other year, some of us are going to have really great experiences, but some of you are going to go through some really challenging and difficult things. That's the truth, right? You're going to go through trials and persecutions you're going to experience grief and losses and heartache. And the question you need to ask yourself right now is, what is going to anchor your soul to empower you to get through those things? I'm telling you right now that we have 2,000 years of church history preceded by thousands of years of the people of Israel in their relationship with Yahweh who tell us that it is God who can anchor our souls. It is Jesus who can empower us by his spirit to stay faithful and to heal and to experience his goodness and his kingdom, even in the midst of the most challenging things that we can imagine. Let's stand up together.